Jesus, thank you um, that somehow the God of eternity stepped into the timeline, that somehow the God of full power and all power became a helpless little child, uh, that somehow the God who knew everything and knows everything became a little kid who had to learn to speak and to crawl and to walk because you loved us. Um, and it just boggles the mind. Uh, but would it create a deep peace in us, a joy in us, a hope in us that not only have you come, but you're coming. Uh, that as we celebrate Christmas this uh, in eight days, uh, we celebrate not just what has occurred, but what we're waiting to occur when the world is full of glory and goodness and grace forever and always. And would that just be hope bringing this morning? And if you would take a moment and pray for yourself and ask the Lord to speak to you today. And if you'd be so kind, uh, pray for me uh, that I would speak clearly and have the energy to get through this. Oh, Father, we love you and we trust you. Uh, come and use this time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in eighth grade, uh, I, I've, I have a lot of eighth grade stories. We moved uh, from one town to the next town. It was like my one move in, in school, in all of my school years. And uh, I, I, I hated where I grew up. Like, it just was not good. It didn't work out for me. And then we moved in eighth grade. And I remember uh, we had this winter formal. Whoever decided that, like, eighth graders needed to be shoved into a cafetorium to, like, ask other people to dance and, like, be awkward and thought that was a good idea... I don't know who they are, uh, but they thought that was a great idea. And so all of these small little eighth graders, we put on uh, suits and dresses, and we all showed up, and there was, like, semi-fancy food. And we were just supposed to, like, socially interact on a level that I don't think we'd ever been taught how to do so. And at some point, I knew, like, no, you, like, you ask the girl if she'll dance with you. And there was this girl, always a girl. Uh, her name was Destiny Fulbright. She ended up living next door to me, and she was definitely the girl next door for all of my high school career. Uh, she was a unicorn that just was always interested in someone else. And it started in eighth grade, and we we're at the formal, and she looks great, and I'm, like, super nervous and probably really sweaty. And eventually, like, I work up the nerve to go ask her to dance for the next, like, slow song because, you know, those are the ones with all the feelings and the groove. And as kind as she could be, she's like, yes, absolutely, which I, I think she knew my name. Like, I'm like six weeks into this school. Like, I'm the new kid. We've had a couple classes together. She's the cheerleader. I'm the band nerd. Like, they just what, like, there was no hope to begin with. And she's so nice and loves Jesus and says, Yeah, like, you can have the next slow dance. And a couple, a couple fast songs go by, and no one wants to see Justin attempt to do that. Um, and then the slow song starts coming on, and I like had been keeping, like, where is she so I can find her in, like, all 150 of us. And I see her across the room, and I start walking, and then I realize she's dancing with another guy. And heartbroken and disappointed and embarrassed and a lot of emotions that 8th grade Justin hadn't experienced, uh, I just walk out of the dance and go sit on the bench uh, and make a phone call. Why? Because I had an idea. I had a plan. I thought life was going to turn out one way 
that dance, and it was going to be this magical moment where we danced under the fake stars, and we fell in love forever and ever and ever, as eighth graders obviously do. And then in crashed disappointment into my little soul. And we face it all the time. Uh, we face it as uh, hormonally imbalanced eighth graders. We face it as uh, people with jobs. We face it as parents, as, as kids, as siblings. Like disappointment is so normative in our life. We have an idea of what life is going to look like. We have an idea of how uh, this year is going to play out. And so often, it doesn't always look like what we wanted. It doesn't always look like what we imagine. And what do we do with disappointment? Because what we're going to see in the story of Joseph is Joseph had a plan. Like he had a way that he thought life was going to work out. And it didn't. And he's got to wrestle with disappointment. And what does he do with it? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And first, I just want to look at what is disappointment. Uh, well, according to Cambridge, we're a pretty solid source. Disappointment is defined as the unhappiness or discouragement that results when your hopes or expectations have not been satisfied or someone or something that is not as good as you had hoped or expected. According to Oxford, disappointment is a sadness or a displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or dreams. Uh, we get disappointed when our plans don't work out. Uh, when destiny goes off and dances with another guy. Uh, when we don't get the promotion, when we don't get the job, when we thought the bonus was going to come through so we could get those Christmas presents, and it just doesn't hit. Like, we get disappointment, and then we have to wrestle with the discouragement. We have to wrestle with the sadness. And sadly, disappointment is a part of human life. Have you ever thought of it? Like, disappointment only showed up after the fall. Like, there was no disappointment in, in Genesis 1 and 2. There was no sadness, there was no discouragement, there was no plan that didn't come to fruition. When God speaks, it does. When Adam and Eve put their hand to, to a task or a job, they tried to do something, it worked. When he tried to be romantic, like it actually worked. When he tried to be open and honest about his feelings, it worked. When she tried to speak to him, like it, he listened, like there wasn't disappointment in the garden. But there's been disappointment that's flooded human existence since Genesis 3. From work to family to money, plans just don't work out. But before we continue, um, I just want to point out there's a difference between disappointment and tragedy. Uh, there's a difference between disappointment and tragedy. They overlap some because every tragedy is disappointing, uh, but not every disappointment is a tragedy. Does that make, does that make sense? Disappointments are when your plans don't work out, when you don't get the job, when you don't get into the school, when you don't get the bonus, when you don't get the promotion, when you don't get the work done that you thought you were going to get done, or when you take the car to the mechanic to just get an oil change and you leave $2,000 later. That's disappointing. Tragedy is when the unthinkable crashes in and devastates your life. Like, it's not like, oh, like, I really wanted to go to this school and I didn't get in. Like, that's disappointing. Tragedy is when um, my best friend in high school's house goes up in flames when he's 16, and it's just gone. Tragedy is when the doctor walks in or you get the phone call because the doctor just walked in and told you the news that no one ever thought they were going to hear because it was statistically impossible, but they're the statistic now. That's tragedy. It's the difference between the story of Joseph and the story of Job. Joseph had a plan and a dream of how life was going to work out. We're going to talk about that. And his plan got very much changed uh, by the sovereignty and the plans of God. Job, in a morning, lost everything. 
That's tragedy. Joseph's was disappointment. And if you're here this morning and, and you're in the tragedy camp, God sees you. God hurts with you. God loves you. And like he has the comfort you need. Like he, he's not abandoned you. He's not left you. He's going to walk with you every step of the way through this. And he hurts just as much, if not more, than you do on what's going on in life. Disappointment. Joseph deals with disappointment. Um, we have to deal with it well. Uh, I was reading several articles this week getting ready uh, for this sermon and was like, what happens when we don't deal with disappointment well? Like, what, what, what happens in our soul when we just let disappointment kind of fester? Um, and the psychology department of the Harvard Business Review talked about when we don't deal with disappointment well, um, that sadness turns into anger. That we get angry. Uh, either at ourselves because we didn't make it happen or we didn't live up or we didn't get the grade or we didn't get the job, or we get angry at someone else that they didn't give us what we deserved, that they didn't see the potential, that they didn't do it. And this anger begins to fester and fester and grow and grow and grow. And when we don't deal with disappointment well, we see what Proverbs 13, 12 come true in our life. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred is just another way of saying disappointment. Like, you had a hope, you had a plan, and now it got pushed off. And that leaves disappointment. And the scriptures say that makes a heart sick. Like, it begins to eat at us and rot at our emotions and our stability. Like, disappointment left unchecked, disappointment left undealt with, creates a deep sadness, creates an anger, creates a sickness inside of us. Um, but when our hope is fulfilled... The Proverbs say it's a tree of life. The opposite of uh, something being sick is something having life and joy. And Hebrews 12 picks up on this idea on trees springing up in our soul, but puts it this way. See to it that no one fall, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many may become defiled. When we don't deal with disappointment, yeah, we, we, we deal with the sadness and the loss. Yeah, I think a lot of us will get angry as we can just kind of live in that. But according to the scriptures, there's this sickness that takes root in our soul and eventually creates this bitterness between us and people. That there's this deep problem that invades our relationship with people because our plans didn't work out. And maybe we're so frustrated because we couldn't make it happen and we're just blaming ourselves. Or maybe we're so angry at them because they're the problem and not us. And you can't look at them. You can't talk to them. You, you don't have nice words to think about them because your plan didn't work out. We have to deal with disappointment well because dealing with disappointment well leads to life and dealing with disappointment poorly leads to death. So how do we do it? How do we deal with disappointment? Let's look at the story of Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ uh, took place in this way 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So first things first, like elephant in the room, right? Um, Mary and Joseph are betrothed, and she shows up pregnant. Uh, Now, what does it mean that they were betrothed? I I found this out new this week. It was fun. I like learning new things. In ancient Jewish uh, marriage custom, marriage was a two-step process. There was kiddushin, and there was nisuin. You don't have to remember those words. There's not a test after. Um, But similar to nowadays, they had a two-step marriage process. We've got engagement, and then we have marriage. They had kiddushin, uh, where they were bound legally. They were functionally married. Uh, And then they had Nishuin, where they were actually married. They had the wedding and ceremony, the party, yay. We have where people are engaged, and that's the process of becoming one. Your finances come together. You begin to make life plans together. And then eventually, you're not really married, but you have been committed to this person. You said, I'm going to run the rest of my life. I'm going to live my life with this person. And then the day comes, and you functionally and officially get married. It's very similar to engagement and marriage. And so Mary and Joseph are betrothed. Um, They're in Kiddushin, and it means that they are 100% married. Um, If you're engaged in American culture, you break off an engagement. If you are betrothed, like Mary and Joseph, you don't break off a Kiddushin. You have to get divorced. They are legally 100% married uh, when they are betrothed, uh, which is very different than what we're used to. Uh, you can decide to go your different ways. You can decide it doesn't work out, and you have to sadly send out the retraction of the save the dates, but you don't have to get a divorce. You don't have to go before a judge. You decide we're going to go our different ways. And so they're married. They're in the stage uh, of kiddushin, meaning their husband and wife united in every way except physically until the second stage of marriage. And there was typically about a year between Kiddushin and Nishuin, uh, between being betrothed and fully married. And this fits with the story of Mary and Joseph. In Luke chapter 1, we find that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Behold, uh, you're uh, betrothed to Joseph, and you're going to have a kid by the Holy Spirit, even though you're a virgin. And then at some point, after miraculously conceiving baby Jesus, Mary uh, leaves Nazareth and journeys to her Aunt Elizabeth and her Uncle Zechariah's house to stay with them for three months. Then Mary goes back home to Nazareth, and what happens when Mary goes home? There's a baby bump. And she's telling everybody, I didn't sleep with anybody. Uh, I'm pregnant by God. And that's her line. Now, I know a lot of us have grown up with this story, and a lot of us are going like, why didn't they just believe Mary? Uh, Some of you grew up reciting uh, this story in creeds, like, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so it can become so common that that we lose sight of the fact that the Virgin Mary conceived the Son of God by a miraculous act of the Holy Spirit to be Jesus's mom. She didn't have sex. God didn't do anything weird. She wasn't pregnant. And then somehow embryo baby Jesus was there. What, what, what? And that's her line. She's showing up. I wasn't pregnant. And then I was, and it's the son of God. Right. Sure. It is Mary. Um, you've had one too many drinks. I don't know what they were serving at your aunt and uncle's house, but you need to let that go off. This has never happened 
at, up till this point, and it's never happened again. The only way a baby has ever been made is through human reproduction. It takes one man and one woman, and Mary is saying, it just happened. So she comes home. Three months later, she's got baby bump, and the line is she's pregnant by the Spirit of God. And shocker, Joseph doesn't believe her. You wouldn't believe it either. Nobody does. Her parents don't. Her friends don't. Her husband doesn't. Like, nobody but Elizabeth and Zechariah believe her. And in the wake of this pregnancy, Joseph's hopes and dreams come crashing apart. He had this dream and picture of his marriage. He probably had this dream and picture of what his family was going to look like. He, he's, he's building this business as a carpenter, become a reputable, good man in his community, be a blessing to his community and a blessing to his family. And when he sees her around that corner and sees little baby Jesus, like, everything he thought life was going to be just goes up in flames. And suddenly, she's just telling him that he's the father, not the dad, but no one else is the dad. And that she's pregnant with God's kid. And what does he do? What does Joseph do when his wife shows up three, four, five, six months pregnant? How does Joseph and how do we deal with disappointment? Four things. First, verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. First, we deal with disappointment by doing what is right. We do what's right. Joseph is called a just man. It's the same word in, in Greek to mean righteous. Uh, it's talking about Joseph's character, uh, meaning that Joseph is in right relationship with God, and he's doing what is morally right in his relationships with his neighbors, including his wife. He's morally upright. He's a good man. He's a godly man, and from his character comes his actions. That's the reason it includes those descriptions in there. Like, he's not just some good old boy. Like, he's a just man. Like, he, he honors God, and he loves his neighbor. And so he does what is good. And from being a good and a godly person who's been shaped by God to look like God, he seeks to be good and godly with Mary. He doesn't want to put her to shame. He don't want to drag her out in front of everybody. He don't want to make this big public scene. Like, he's got to be heartbroken, devastated, feels disrespected because she's just still sticking with this line that it's God's kid. And I think Joseph is probably just better than me. But wanting to be proven right, wanting to, 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 to get back at her, the desire for, for revenge and justice would probably rise up in Justin. Oh, I'm going to do what's right so that I feel good. I'm going to do what's fair in my feelings and in my perspective. I don't really care about right right now because you went off and slept with somebody else. I'm going to do what feels fair and what makes me feel good about me. I don't care about right and wrong. You've already messed that up. I'm going to do what I feel is good for me. But he doesn't do that. 
He's kind even when he feels like he's been wronged. He's merciful even when he feels like he's just being lied to. He loves even when he feels utterly betrayed. Because let's be honest, this has never, ever happened and has never happened again. Like, it's so easy to come down on Joseph and be like, you should have just believed her. Yes, but would you have? And so in the midst of that, he still does what is right, even when it doesn't feel fair. And so when we're disappointed, when we get passed over, when we don't get what we feel like we deserve, when our plans don't work out, we don't just live for us and go for ours. We seek to still be right and loving people. Okay, my plans just got shattered. And I'm dealing with the loss and I'm dealing with the grief. But as you do that, do what's right to the people around you. Don't do what feels fair. Don't do what feels easy. Don't do what just makes life better for you. Do what's right under God and between your fellow man. Because that's what Joseph does. He doesn't shame her. He's going to go through the right processes, but he's going to do it as quietly and respectfully as possible. He doesn't want to ruin her life, even though he feels like his life has been ruined. He does what is right. Second, we deal with the disappointment by listening to what is true. By listening to what is true. So we do what's right, and we listen to what's true. He hasn't fully grasped the entirety of the situation at this point. He's still wrong. Like that is the son of God in your wife. How that works out, still not clear on that one. Do we understand his perspective and like his disbelief and like not getting it? Yes. But he's still wrong. But even his disappointment, he doesn't shut his ears. He doesn't close off. He doesn't clam up. He doesn't say, I'm just going to believe what I want to believe, and my truth is ultimate truth. No, no, no. He's still humble. He's still open to a different story. He still listens. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, so he's, he's planning to divorce her quietly, not shame her, just do what's in his perspective, she's slept with another man that's ruined their marriage. He's going to divorce her quietly. He's not going to shame her. She can go back to her parents' house. He can move on with her life. She can move on with hers. He's not just going to drag her in the center of town. And as he's considering like how he's going to do this and how this is all going to work out, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Joseph listens, even in his disappointment. When our plans don't work out, do we shut off, or are we open to hear? Or are we, as James says, slow to speak and quick to listen? When there is disappointment because of family, when there is disappointment because of work, when there is disappointment because of finances, are you, are you still willing to hear from the Lord? 
or you shut off to him. No, 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 I tried it your way, and that clearly didn't work out, you see? So now I'm going to do it my way. Are you willing to still be wrong? Are you open to another path? Right? In this moment, Joseph is invited into the greatest story of humanity, and he has to make a choice. Am I willing to listen that, that, that Mary's actually right, that this really is God's son, and that God has now sent an angel to speak to me, and this, like, I had a whole thing wrong. Is my life still blown up and blown apart, and what I thought was going to be is no longer? Yes. Am I still disappointed? Do I still have to deal with the grief and the loss of what I thought life was going to be? Yes. But are you still willing to listen? Because Joseph was still wrong. Are you still willing to listen that he is going to provide for you? Are you still willing to listen that he is your good shepherd? who knows you and loves you and leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake? Are you still willing to listen to do what's loving and kind, to bless even though you've been cursed? Are your ears so shut off because you're disappointed? First, we do what's right. Then we listen to what is true. We listen to what is true. And then third, we trust when we don't understand. We trust when we don't understand. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 7 here. So the angel in Joseph's dream is he's quoting Isaiah chapter 7. And in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah prophesies uh, this prophecy. And he says, the way you know it's going to be true, the, the sign that's going to prove uh, that this is really going to happen is a virgin's going to conceive and bear a son. Now, in Hebrew, the word for virgin can mean two things. It can mean a young woman who has never had sex. Or it could mean a young woman who is capable of conceiving. It's just a young lady. Uh, it could specifically mean a woman who's never had sex, or it could just be a young girl. It means both of those things. Um, and so when Isaiah spoke this, the virgin's going to conceive and bear son. It's like, well, well, yeah, like that's typically how... Things work when there's a man and a woman. Uh, they just kind of, that's, that's how the world tends to happen. And as you read Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and 10, you realize that these kids uh, begin to be born into the royal court and to Isaiah. And the point is, the prophecy is going to come true. Like the virgins conceived and they bore kids. And some of their kids have really weird names. And so for God's people, when they read Isaiah 7, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The virgin conceived, like, you know, my mom and her mom and her mom and then, you know, all of us that had moms, the virgin conceived, and now we're here. Like, that's just how it worked, and that happened 700 years, years ago with King Amos, and that was that prophecy, that a young woman was going to conceive and bear a kid. Like, that's just how nature works. And now God quotes this again. He says, no, 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 no. It wasn't just about a young woman who was of age to have children. It was going to have it in the natural way that every other child has ever been born. <laughs> one man, one woman. I'm going to take the virgin who's never going to have sex. And she's going to have a kid. 
Like, you, you thought I was just stopping here at the normal way of doing things. No. The virgin is going to conceive and bear a son. That doesn't make sense. We don't understand how that happened. We, well, she, she wasn't pregnant, and then embryo baby Jesus, boom, like he was there growing in the womb. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think anybody knows. <laughs> but he trusted even when he couldn't understand. Like, wait a second, God, like this whole passage isn't just about young women having kids. It's about like the woman who shouldn't be able to have a kid has a kid, and he's going to be God in the flesh. I don't get that. Joseph, I don't think, fully got it. Oftentimes, Jesus says things that we don't fully get. Oftentimes, Jesus asks us to trust him in things that we don't fully understand, and he says, but I want you to take this first step with me. But what after that? It's not the point. I want you to take the first step and trust me here, and then we'll talk about the next step later. Joseph trusts, even when he doesn't understand. It doesn't make sense, Jesus. Why would I bless when I've been cursed? Why would I love when no one's being kind? Why would I continue to follow you when things don't just work out? Why, would I, why should I keep trusting you when everything's falling apart? It doesn't make sense. But Joseph trusts, even when he doesn't understand. And then lastly, he obeys even when it's not easy. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So he goes to bed, troubled. Angel comes and speaks to him, says, hey, Mary's actually telling the truth. Um, that is the son of God, um, and the virgin conceived and is born a child, and it is God. Um, and he's come to save the world from his sins. You're going to call him Jesus. And so I, I, I need you to take care of her and take care of him and raise him as your own. First of all, I would be thinking, what in the world did I eat for dinner? Because that was the craziest dream I have ever had in my life. Second, what? And then he says, okay. I don't know what that conversation looks like with Mary. Joseph, yeah, is, is Mary here? Yeah. Hey, hey, Mary. Um, I'm sorry. What do you mean? I had this. You had a dream too. Yep. I had this dream. An angel Gabriel. Yep. Gabriel showed up to me too. He said it's God's kid. I told you. Every married conversation ever. And he says, okay, I'm not going to divorce you. I'm going to take care of you. We're going to figure this out. He obeys, even when it's not easy. Like the town has already seen the bump. If you keep reading in Mark, there's one point where Jesus is standing up and talking. Like, oh, look, it's the carpenter's son. Like Jesus gets known as the kid who wasn't Joseph's kid. He's the other child. And living in the world that he has to grow up, Joseph has to listen to his kid, probably get made fun of. There's got to be the questions of like, are you really going to stay with her? Imagine what his friends and what his parents are saying. 
you did everything right. She's the one, like, no, 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 like, you don't understand. Like, it's God's kid. Like, really, you too, Joseph? Like, you're, you're believing her with this? And then the story continues. He leaves his hometown to travel to Bethlehem. And then, because he said yes, he ends up having to flee as a refugee to Egypt to take care of Mary and baby Jesus for a couple years. And then come back. And then he's got to divert and live somewhere else and make a life and a living away from his family and away from the business that he had built. His life gets turned upside down. He obeys even when it's not easy. I'm not saying Mary had it easy. Like, don't, like, don't hear like, oh, poor Joseph, Mary. is such like, no, we're just talking about Joseph today. Neither of them had it easy. But even in his disappointment, he does what's right. He listens to what is really true. Not what's going on in here and what everyone else is saying, but what does God say is true. He trusts when he doesn't understand like, like, how? I don't know, Joseph. Like, I'm so caught up on, like, the God became human, and not even, like, touching the, like, she wasn't pregnant, then she was. And then he not only listens, not only trusts, but then he obeys. Even when it's not easy, even when it's not convenient, even when obedience probably makes life more difficult. <laughs> So I asked Destiny to dance, and she says yes, because she's a really nice person, and then I'm sure someone else got in there in front of me that was much smoother than, than I was. We'll just leave it at that description. And I look out, and she's dancing with another guy, and I briskly walk, I don't run, because that would have been embarrassing, um, outside, and there's these big, huge glass windows, so like everyone probably could see me, and so I sit on the bench, and I pull out my Motorola V220 brick phone. It's a flip with a camera that could take like one megapixel of a, of a, it's great. And I call my dad. Hey, come get me. What? I thought you were the day. I, I, I need you to come get me. Why? I, I, I don't want to talk about it. I just need you to come get me. Okay. So he hangs up the phone, jumps in his truck. A few minutes later, he's there. And in silence, we ride home. We talk about it a little bit later. Some of you walked in here and life has just been disappointing this season. Like plans aren't working out like they thought you thought that they would. Life is getting turned upside down. And you're tired. And you got a lot of questions. You're disappointed. There's loss and grief that's there. But the invitation this morning is to call the father who always answers, to call the dad who's always there. You don't have to talk about all of it right now. He already knows. <laughs> but the opportunity is to stop running from him because you're disappointed about how life turned out and start running to him. Yeah, did he mess with your plans? Yeah, he did. Did he mess with Joseph's plans? Yes. And over and over again in the story of the scripture, he messes with our plans to carry out his plan in every single time. When people like Joseph just do what's right, 
and to listen and trust and obey even when it's not easy, even when their plans get left behind. They find joy. They find life. They find a story they could have never written, and they find the chance to be a part of what God's doing in the world that they never would have had. And so maybe life is disappointing right now. And as we respond through the Lord's Supper, the opportunity for you is to stop running from him in your disappointment and run to him because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He never fails. Like he's not going to let you down. Your plans might have let you down. How you wanted life to turn out might have let you down, but he's not going to because he's faithful and he's good and he loves us and he came for us to save us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you stepped into our disappointment, that you stepped into our world, that you've walked life like we have, that there's nothing we go through, there's nothing we struggle with that you weren't tempted by. You understand life not working out. You understand disappointment. You understand tragedy and all of the emotions that come with it. And so knowing that you get us and that you're faithful and true, would we run to you this morning and not from you? Would we trust you're steadfast and faithful to generations, even in our life right now? When life feels like it's falling apart, when plans have gotten dashed on the rocks, when disappointment has just flooded this season of our life. This morning would we run to you and not from you because you came for us, Emmanuel, to save us from everything. On the last night um, of Jesus on earth, he was sitting with his 12 closest disciples and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he drank from it and he passed it around. And this is my blood poured out in a new covenant. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. And so if you grabbed elements on the way in after I pray, um, as you're ready to respond, uh, you're welcome to do so. If you need to grab the elements, there's some at the back and there's two up here at the front. You can come grab those after I pray. And in the Lord's Supper, we get to remember the good news of Jesus that he stepped into a world filled with disappointment, that he stepped into the world, that, that people let Jesus down. They're called the disciples. <laughs> that Jesus watched tragedy around him fall apart. Jesus gets our disappointment, but he's the one that never disappoints. And so we remember that he's faithful and true even when our plans fall apart, that he's doing something more beautiful, more glorious, and more gracious in you, through you, and around you than we could ask or dream or imagine. And so maybe the Lord's Supper for you this morning as a follower of Jesus is just a proclamation of Jesus, I trust you in what's going on right now. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know what the next step is, but I just want to proclaim and confess that I trust you this morning. As we remember the gospel, we examine, like where, like, where is disappointment becoming some anger? Where is disappointment leading to disbelief? 
And as we take the Lord's Supper, we're told we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That I trust him. And I trust in what he's done for me. I trust in what he has for me. And so I'm going to pray for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to come grab uh, the bread and the cup. You're welcome to do so. And then we're going to respond together as the people of God. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your poured out blood. Thank you that you never have ever let us down. You can't. It's impossible. And so God, in disappointment this morning, when other people have let us down, when maybe we let us down, would we take a deep breath knowing that you can't let us down? It's not that you won't let us down. It's that you can't. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And so, Jesus, would we walk out of here with fresh joy, renewed hope, because God came to dwell with man, to rescue us from sin, and to walk with us into glory and eternity forever. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. We pray in your name.